right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Civil Discourse. This is not a safe space. No, it's not a safe space at all. How you been? Well, I was doing pretty good till we uh, started this recording session and all technology just crashed down upon my head. But that's a normal day for well, me. Well, this is why we, we need to have the engineer present. So, uh, But I'm sure he's busy working. Um, Indeed. So anyway, I, you know, you know, I, I've been I've been thinking about things here, and 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 you know, my my lovely bride, your sister-in-law, works in a library, and uh, so I've been thinking about library books and education, and, and just had some thoughts, and and maybe maybe you'd have some interest in discussing this topic. Well, it's it's funny you bring up uh, library books, and uh, by the way, I, do you think anyone's buying this? We we random choice of topic, or uh, you know. We, we have done random choice of topics, but this one we kind of planned out a little bit. Um, so I was, actually it was with our good friend, yours and mine, and friend of the show, Peter. Um, I was having a chat with him about some various social topics, and he, he suggested um, that we might be interested, if we haven't already done a conversation on it, in this latest news story on the goings-on around uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Roll Roll Doll story, and his depiction and the controversy that has come of it over the Oompa Loompas. And I I had heard some of that conversation, but I, I hadn't really paid close attention to it. And he said, "Well, I have an article you should read that uh, you would you would find interesting, going back to the original story as he had written it, and how he depicted the Oompa Loompas, and then you know the various conversation that led up through the film um, with uh, Gene Wilder, and then the modern, the more modern version um, that happened." I don't know what was it. Uh, that was Johnny. That was Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp yes, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and you know the first the first element was a a matter of race and then the second element was a matter of servitude not unrelated historically speaking and it sort of led as I was doing this uh, sort of research into a wider uh search into the conversation on um all sorts of literature and films and other depictive media and how we are not only adjusting the way we uh, look at stories go- that are original today going forward, but how in a lot of cases we are reinventing uh, classic tales to fit a more uh, contemporary sensibility and what are the pros and cons of that approach. And so I thought uh, this would be an interesting conversation today, and classic literature is sort of the first place to go into this particular rabbit hole. Well, which one would you like to start with? Because I'm actually a little torn on Roald Dahl's uh, story, uh, though I did not realize there was a version one before the book I read as a kid. Uh, I read the first one he revised, and he revised it, by the way. Uh, so when I read it, the Oompa Loompas were not from dark Africa like they were in the original book. The 1964 um, original story, he depicts them as uh, the, Willy Wonka imported them 
from right. the deepest and darkest part of the African jungle, which he then right. enslaves essentially uh, in his factory. And he actually describes them um, as African pygmies uh, that were uh, gung-ho wild over all things cocoa. If you gave them cocoa or cocoa, however it was pronounced, then um, they were they would do anything they could possibly do uh, per your request. And of course, in our modern sensibility, this is a bit problematic. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm wondering if it wasn't slightly problematic in the sixties. Uh, you know, th there was already a um, civil rights movement going on in this country. Well, it very I'm much sure was the, also um, the, uh, yeah. the NAACP actually threatened to sue and boycott the studios if they portrayed uh, the Oompa Loompas the way they were originally uh, written uh, by Dahl in, in, the, in that first edition of the book. And so the studios and the director and Dahl came together and there was some heated conversation. And ultimately they decided to go with sort of the green hair, orange skin, fanciful version of them, which removed the idea of race specifically. Um, from the conversation, at least human race, but then um, went on to still be an issue of, of servitude. You know, even if they were a fictional element, they had been brought there and were working supposedly without pay and in great gratitude as the book goes for having been saved by the uh, uh, Willy Wonka and there was an interesting, which, which is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just startled by it. And, and honestly, and you know me, I'm like anti-politically correct. I found the initial depiction of the Oompa Loompas to be quite disturbing. Um, and just ignoring the historical concept that, that the pygmy tribes were fierce warriors and would have never been subjugated. Uh, just ignoring that part of it. I found his use of stereotypes. And, and again, I'm not that terribly, politically correct but i was just like wow he wrote that in the 60s you know 1860s i might have bought it but not the 1960s well um, it i mean this this was the height of this debate you know the the final fire before a shift you know started to happen and even then you know it's not like somebody snapped their fingers and we were in business as far as progressive ideas immediately ago but it's, it's interesting because so apparently there is uh, a certain tone through a number of his films. There was another article, and we'll link these articles uh, in, in the podcast um, site um, that talks about the range of his writing, everything from obviously Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, James and the Giant Peach, the fantastic Mr. Fox. There were a number of elements that... Now, in a, in a, again, in a more, dare I say, woke capacity, uh, and I think I sent you this other article through NPR, there's a lot of debate now over the choice of the publishers, Puffin uh, Publishing, to actually change the language in any uh, ongoing uh, printings of this book. And they call out a couple examples. So uh, the character of Augustus Gloop, uh, is no longer right. called fat. He's now being described as enormous. Um, instead of being called small men, the Oompa Loompas are now small people. 
And there are a couple of other things that they go, go through. People can read into it as they like. But I thought this was actually this the other one I'll, I'll, I'll share because I thought this was really interesting. Further changes, and this is a quote from the article uh, on NPR, further changes to these books include adding language not originally written uh, by Dahl. In his 1983 book, The Witches, for example, he writes, the witches are bald beneath their wigs. And according to the Telegraph, an added line to new editions will say there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. And this hopefully won't offend anybody who is offended by the idea of being bald, Jada Pinkett Smith. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting here wondering if I should be offended that I'm bald. But anyway. (laughs) So I want to share the conversation that I had that that was actually before this. I think um, with with Peter and, and my wife, we were talking about this idea of um, television shows that depict a historical aspect of, of our history. Um, that's a redundant statement, I realize. But something that was from a time period that was real. And in doing so, they change a major element. And this is primarily in terms of race, though I think it can happen in any number of, of, of cases, um, where elements of, of racial interaction are re-envisioned as how arguably they should have been, but they certainly were not. And a, a good example of this uh, in two different uh, capacities would be uh, Hamilton on Broadway. Okay, right. George Washington, Hamilton, all these guys, they weren't black. Uh, they were not black slave owners. No? <laughs> I hate to say this. Um, oh, man. And, uh, oh, shoot, I'm suddenly forgetting the name of that uh, the TV program takes place over in England, and it's during the, uh, I don't know if it's Victorian age or whatnot. It's a big show on TV right now. While you're trying to remember, there was a, a, a series, an action series done with the Adams, John and Sam Adams, and in the action series, it depicted John as this young swashbuckling revolutionary warrior and depicted Samuel Adams as this old man. And, and the converse is actually what was true, where, whereas John was the uh, the old thoughtful uh, man behind the American Revolution and Sam Adams was the guy who was out there fighting it. Uh, and, and, you know, but of course, we don't really know Sam Adams unless we drink beer. So, uh, you know, Hollywood had to swap, basically swap their roles. Uh, and then we had a, a thing, I can't remember what it was called. It was about the American Revolution. It was a multi-part series. It was, they filmed a lot of it here in, in Virginia where there was no love story. The lady in the movie and TV show would have been 30 or 40 years older. It was about Washington spies. I think it was called Turn, T-U-R-N. Mm-hmm. A- and uh, they created a love story between what essentially would have been a 60 or 70 year old woman and a 30 or 40 year old man. But, you know, we can't have the truth we just have to in, engage in some rom-com in the middle of this series and so uh this is not unheard of so did you find your show no i didn't nope. but it's basically a victorian age uh depiction of romance and everything and it has uh black and white characters uh interacting you know as if uh the race and class system of the time 
in real life didn't exist. And oh, I, I see this on Father Brown, by the way. There's a British series called Father Brown, and and they're the most woke and, and embracing people of all time. And the novels were set pre-World War II. The TV shows that just post-World War II. And and I'm I, I just watched it. I'm saying in 1955, there's no way this would have happened this way. It just wouldn't have happened. They they wouldn't have looked at interracial marriage the way we do today. But in this show, that's the way they look at it. Well, and it's it's interesting because the the fact of the matter is that you know we don't want to necessarily. I I should say I I sit on the fence on on these issues because in many ways. I think we should be able to start conceiving of storytelling in a fully engaged way where it's inclusive of what humanity actually looks like. And we shouldn't hesitate to do that, except, and here's where I, I, I start to have hesitation, except when we're looking at elements from a historic, from a historical perspective or a, a period of time in history where the realities of our, that time in history would not have allowed that story to be told, to have happened the way that, that it's being told. And I'll give you an example. We went to see a show in New York the other day, and it was the tale of, it was 19, I want to say, 30s, 20s and 30s era uh, a play. And this girl is the daughter of an Irish police officer, very blue collar household, uh, and, you know, not, not upper class or anything of the sort. And she ends up being impregnated by her boyfriend, uh, who she hasn't told her parents yet, but she has invited him to come over and uh, meet his meet the family. Now, the original play was written years ago. It's by a woman, and it was absolutely conceived of in its authorship. Um, while I can't state this as a fact because I didn't know the playwright, I guarantee when you look at the time it was written, ethnicity mixing was not a concept um, and would not right. have been a reality in the, the world of the characters. But in this modern, inclusive approach to casting, and since the story is supposed to be about the girl, not about race specifically, they, uh, the producers and the director, they decided to do a more inclusive mixed casting. Okay, interesting exercise. Let's see how it works. So we're watching the show, and in comes the boyfriend to this household with, again, this deep blue-collar Irish Catholic police officer, his young daughter, the, the mother and wife, and their two brothers. And the father has already said in anticipation of his arrival, you know, is he one of us? Is he Catholic? Is he this? Is he that? Because I, I don't like this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the boy walks in the door, and he's black. He's wealthy, as the, as the story goes, his father is a big owner of multiple stores and whatnot, so he's dressed on a higher level of class than this girl and her family. But the minute he walks in the door, the conversation is about class in general. 
and how I'm a hard working and I beat the streets and this, that, and the other, and this, you know, the, who, who is this young man that, uh, you know, doesn't look like he's ever lifted a thing in his life and blah, 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 blah. There's no acknowledgement of the fact that he's black whatsoever. And I'm sitting there having a difficulty believing the story in front of me <laughs> because there's no way that that wouldn't be the first thing in that time period, in those circumstances with those characters, the first thing out of his mouth would be he's black. Uh-uh. There was a whole, there was a whole movie in the sixties. Who's coming to dinner with Sidney Portier and Spencer Tracy yes. uh, that, that, that talked about this. And then there was a remake with Bernie Mac where they, they flipped the script and, and it was Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher, if I remember right, uh, where, where, you know, now, now the prominent black family has this low middle income white boy come in their house. And, and I find those, I actually thought they were both very good. Well, the first one's really good. The second one's okay, but it has Bernie Mac. So it's, it gets up a letter grade, you know, sure. if it was a C movie because Bernie Mac's in it, it's a B movie. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and you know, it's funny that I, I suppose they, they just kind of changed the, the thought of the script and, uh, you know, I, I just struggle with this. And, and while I, I, I have a little bit of criticism towards Raul Dahl, and I think that because he wasn't born in 1860, he was born in the 20th century, 1916, if I remember right. And, and he grew up watching the changing of, of racial and uh, social structures in the UK. Maybe, maybe the UK was a bit behind the US on this issue because there weren't a lot of blacks there. Uh, I'm just thinking. But still, I, I think there was a social revolution going on in the, in the world. At least well, in the and, Western and, and world. let's keep in mind, just because he was a writer doesn't mean he was a progressive human being. Well, you know, true, true. And he had a lot of conversation that took class into, character, in, into the conversation, but not necessarily race. Um, as far as, you know, a sympathetic eye towards it. So I don't really know that much about his, his social and political leanings, but if we are to take the way he chose to depict certain characters that to, to your point, there's no way he could not have been aware of the parallels between, uh, you know, black pygmies from the darkest part of the African jungle, uh, who are now being, uh, uh, imported into servitude and you know and so forth and so forth right he and, had to have been aware of the parallels there and that maybe that wasn't the best way to to demonstrate a child's story in his time um by the way the show i was thinking of uh bridgerton um okay i've never where, seen it so i couldn't have helped you <laughs> but it, <laughs> so. it it very much depicts upper class victorian era uh young people of mixed and and to be fair, I I have not watched the show in any extensive way, but just from the onset, I look at that and I say that wouldn't have happened. You know it, that that wouldn't have happened the way that it's being perceived. And here's my concern: I think television, the television especially, is one of the most influential elements of contemporary education. And, and I don't mean education like we're sitting here studying. I mean, it in the influence that those visual mediums have on people's understanding of uh, or perception of historical fact uh, or fiction is, is immeasurable, I would argue. And I look at 
tales of 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 Hamilton and and these historical figures that are not being represented as they were, and you know the the Bridgertons and you know these these things that are trying to reinvent uh, the history that it is, and I wonder in the long term is there going to be a negative are we are we diminishing our understanding of history because it oh i, I think so you know, and 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 from a storytelling perspective part of part of my question is i'm not saying don't do it i'm saying do it with a clear understanding of the story you're trying to tell and if you want to take a risk if you want to uh, you know, to, to make an experiment out of it and let's see how the audience responds. Okay, then with my blessing, have at it. But a great example of that, this play I was I was just talking about, the minute the young man walked in the room, he was a person of color in this time period with the attitudes that the father had already expressed. And then that element was ignored. It took me out of the reality of the play. Now, which is a shame. It was probably a fine play otherwise. Well, it was, and so. and and I guarantee it wasn't written with that kind of casting in mind, given the time period. And to be fair, the fact of the matter is the the story of the play is about the girl. If you allow that casting to have had any kind of truthful reaction, then suddenly the play is no longer about that girl. It's now about a a, a relationship based on racial intermixing in this and the other and that's not the play the woman had written so this starts to now the counter argument to this which i also understand is okay if we're only going to ever have people represented or characters represented by people who match the character's description well it's kind of hard to juliet is supposed to be a virgin how would you do the test (laughs) (laughs) well well now i think there is a discussion to be had there in regards to uh, faithful casting, uh, unless you're doing like what Lynn Manuel, nor what what I can't remember Miranda. his last name right now. The, Miranda. Yeah, yeah, unless you're doing what he was doing in Hamilton, where he was trying to say this is everybody's country, which I thought was an interesting concept. Uh, but you know, I I I, uh, I I I wouldn't indulge me indulge me a moment. Let's go back a hundred years from Raul Dahl and let's talk about. Uh, a guy who who lived a, a lot of his life right close to where you're sitting right now, and that would be Samuel Clements, or, or also known as Mark Twain, and he wrote a book called Huckleberry Finn. Hmm, I've never heard of that. Many critics would call the greatest American novel of all time. Many would say mm-hmm. it is, and that book is being canceled. And I find that much more disturbing than changing some wording in Raoul Dahl's books and. Uh, before I give my opinion, I'd like to hear your perspective on Huckleberry Finn, if you would, please. Well, it's it's it. I think the the thing that we have to look at is I don't want to change the words from anything that is uh, is 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 any form of classic or original literature. I don't want to change an author's words. I think it's important to read the book the way the author wrote it and intended it and draw your opinions. Now, when you start to take those stories and transition them to the medium of film and television, 
Well, we do all sorts of things in the uh, in the transition. In well, we take we take the original novel and we write a screenplay. It's called, and it, the differences between the original ro- ro- novel and the screenplay might be significant. And in many contexts, we don't have a problem with this. Look at The Godfather. If you've ever read the original book, and then watched the mm-hmm. film, it's very different. There are a lot of things that are there, but there's a lot that was either cut or shifted and and addressed. This happens all the time. A recent example of a show that you and I both enjoy um, uh, is... uh, (laughs) I'm doing terrible with names. I should have written all these down before we started. But uh, the the uh, ex-army guy who's massive and... uh, Oh, oh, Reacher. Reacher, Reacher. thank you. Um, If you've read the books, as we have... Uh, the character, a lot of the characters uh, are n- in the show and in, in the film and in in the TV show miniseries uh, are different. They've 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 addressed different aspects of them. Nobody really cries boo about that, and I don't think going back and reading the original uh, story diminishes in any way that aspect. So this idea of changing the language, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think people need to read what the author wrote and then make your own opinion about it. Um, so I would take a stand that I disagree with uh, uh, the idea of um, changing the language in Roald Dahl's you know, original stories. No, read what he wrote. Maybe that will inspire you to, to read more about this author. And find out more of where he stood and make some interesting decisions and, and go forward from there. But as far as you ask about Huckberry Finn, you know, and of course we're, we're talking about the fact that uh, a certain character who is beloved is referred to as uh, the N-word uh, for our young people we won't offend out there. Um, but in, in that that is an offensive word to our sensibilities today, but that's also how people spoke, not only in the time of the story and the characters, but in the time of the guy who wrote the book. Right, so right. I don't think that he wrote that necessarily to be offensive. I think he wrote it to be truthful in his depiction of the relationships, and that happened all the time. Now, let's judge the relationship if we like, but what kind of an author would he be if he wasn't being truthful? It wouldn't be worth reading. I agree. I actually think Mark Twain's idea was much deeper than that, and that uh, this is a man, we know his history, we know his writings, he he was vehemently anti-slavery, and he grew up in He was one of the most progressive people of his time. At his right, you know, and, and he was a Southerner who was anti-slavery. Let's point that out. He's from Missouri, and he he makes sure that Jim, the character Jim, who's the hero of the story, is demeaned by everyone who didn't know him to point out that judging someone based on a, an arbitrary standard of skin color just makes you look dumb. And I'm not going to ruin the story for folks who haven't read Huckleberry Finn, but when my students would read it. You know, I'd always ask at the end of the book, who's the hero? It's not Huck Finn. And they all knew it was Jim. Everybody knew Jim was the hero of the story. And and to make Jim the hero of the story in, I think he wrote it in 1870 or 1880, that was huge to have a black man be the hero of a book uh, in that time frame. And I think, to your point, had he softened the language 
would the story have the impact it did? No. Or does? No, not at all. Um, and I think that's a major, uh, a major uh, point that we have to... Truth is most important. Uh, to be offended by, by the truth is, well, in, in my humble opinion, stupid. Now, if somebody is coming out and expressing all kinds of opinions about groups of people and using derogatory language to, you know, describe them, blah, 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 that may be offensive. But if we're simply writing or depicting truth, the truth is, is not, the telling of that truth is not the offensive part. The truth itself may be offensive, but that's called history. Learn it and draw some your conclusions and grow from it. But I think it's also worth saying, you know, we're we're talking about a movement now in this context that is sort of driven by this woke culture, quote unquote, and how we want to remove the potential for offense. But of course, this is, uh, you know, both sides of this line. And I was just going through a quick list of books that have been banned at one time or another from schools in the States. And just to, you know, some of these are, are very familiar, but To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee, to catch, uh, The Catcher in the Rye, Salinger, The Bluest Eye, Toni Morrison, Of Mice and Men, Steinbeck. Uh, there's one right now, Gender Queer, a memoir um, by, uh, I'm not sure how her, the name's pronounced, Maya Kobabi, maybe, um, which of course is dealing with uh, gender and, and homosexuality and all kinds of things like that. The Hate You Give, Angie Thomas, Looking for Alaska, I don't know that book. Of course, Huckberry Finn, The Color Purple, uh, Lawn Boy, The Kite Runner, Out of Darkness. I mean, the list goes on and on. Animal Farm, um, <laughs> and The Grapes of Wrath, again, Steinbeck. And I've read a lot of these books. Some I have not. Some I haven't even heard of. Um, but others are definitely considered part of our our. Uh, standard uh, classical literature and i can't think of a single thing in here that i would feel is not to be read and taken into consideration and you know it depends on what community we're talking about as to what how certain concepts and ideas will resonate a lot of these are dealing with race and, and other aspects a lot of them have certain sexual content that was considered offensive others are political i mean animal farm of course you know was that george well, orwell and the kite runners you know, about pedophilia the kite, kite runners yeah. about pedophilia um, now i will say i think that just like television just like films there are films that are age appropriate and age inappropriate right, right you know right. we don't need necessarily uh, some of this stuff being appropriate for elementary school kids but that doesn't mean that they can't be a part of the general literature of a, of a, a, a school's library. Um, and, and we see this all the time. But going back to this casting idea, the depiction, a debate that, that has been going on, and, and again, I, I find myself struggling with, is this idea that we're hearing more and more, and you're, you're hearing more and more celebrities and actors who have either done ro roles in the past that they're now expressing regret over or starting to turn down roles because they've decided, you know, I don't have uh, an obesity issue. Uh, uh, this, this film, The Whale, 
that uh, just came out. Have you seen it? Um, no, I haven't seen it. Well, it uh, it's Brendan Fraser, and I, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I've read about it. I've read several reviews, and I've watched the trailer, and I was almost in tears at the trailer. I mean, the he's mm. up for an Oscar, and, and if, if the work of the film is... Is, was represented by the trailer alone. He deserves every inch of it. And yet, part of the issue that is coming out is he's not an obese man. He's not as thin as he used to be in Svelte, but he has not. So does that mean then that we can't cast uh, an actor to play somebody who, you know, a rain man? Is it inappropriate to have an actor play a person who has mental challenges because they don't have mental challenges as an actor? I think most of us you know, who are I've reasonable would. I've been thinking. Yeah. Only only military veterans can play soldiers, sailors, et cetera, et cetera. Then that's that's just my thing. Of course, I'm playing. I, I I find I find this whole thing irrational in that you have to be uh, obese to play someone who's obese, or you have well, to. Well, I, I think any reasonable uh, person <laughs> that becomes an interesting uh, census to take uh, account of. But most reasonably thinking people would say, no, of course, that's, that's crazy, right? Um, we don't have to be an astronaut to play an astronaut. Uh, yeah, you know, Tom Hanks and, and, and how many people have done this. But here's the interesting thing. We would, most of us, argue that it was probably fairly offensive back in the 1950s and 40s and 60s even when we had all kinds of white actors portraying in caricature practically native americans asians blackface uh you know if we go far enough back to the degree that we pretty much don't do that anymore and well i i, I to your point bruce lee's role being given to um david Carradine, yes keith david yeah. david I, I mean that was that was david was it david yeah. i couldn't remember which one of the Carradines it was you know, that that was not only a huge blow in that it was all Bruce Lee's idea to begin with, uh, but the fact that a, a man who'd been on U.S. television uh, multiple roles couldn't play an Asian character in a TV show, that's that's that was insane. And that, again, was what, the 70s, right? So it wasn't like it was 1952. Charlie, The Charlie Chan series of movies, mm -hmm. uh, of which there are probably 40 or 50 of them, Never had an Asian play Charlie Chan, though he's an Asian character. Um, and, and um, you know, Key Luke, who played number one son in those those shows, he said, you know, I, 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 it still got me on the screen and I still had a job. So I didn't think it was as offensive as people were making out to be. Uh, but but there's a point there. Uh, so, yeah, we this was not uncommon until probably the 1960s to put or 70s even, uh, because I think. The last Charlie Chan film still had a, an English actor in the role. And I think that was in the seventies. So um, again, it was wrong. We're not arguing that, but I think what I struggle with here is um, how far do you go? Really? How far do you go? Yes. White folks should play white and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not arguing that, but how far do you go? Well, this, this is the question. Where's the line now? I think an interesting metric to go by is when we have a character of whatever description that um, 
that that is uh, you know needing to be cast in a major project, and we have actors, good, you know, capable and and powerful actors who might have more of a relationship to that character because of their own reality. And an obvious one is it's the character is Asian. We have Asian actors who need work. Right, Why right, not? Right. right. Um, but if the character is gay, can we only have gay the, the members of Hollywood that are gay look at that role? This has become a major uh, argument and, con- uh, and controversy in a lot of our film and television depictions today. And a lot what's, of those people. What? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, a lot of that of the of the gay, you know, LGBTQ uh, community uh, would argue yes, and I don't know that I'm right to say no to that. If I can stand perfectly strong and say, but if he's black, he has to be black. I think I'm okay with. Uh if he's black, he has to be black. If if the character which I do feel by the way, that, <laughs> I'm not okay with blackface. Uh, let me <laughs> let me let me let me let me say something though, and I need to qualify what I said earlier. Idris Elba playing James Bond, that works for me. It, it's not about the color of the character; it's about the type of character he is. Now, Mike Koeniger playing James Bond ain't going to work for me because I'm 173 pounds soaking wet. James Bond is a big bad dude you know <laughs> so, well but but they're also uh, so so it's interesting you pick that a, a example now uh, let's first talk about mike koniger playing james bond two problems with that um actually no i i only have one problem with it because there is no depiction of james bond that talks about his physical appearance the only thing that the estate of um uh, uh i'm sorry the author um ian fleming ian fleming ian thank fleming. you I'm doing terrible with names today. The there was a stipulation in the Fleming estate that the character always has to be a, a member of the English. British Empire. The, the actor right. portraying him has to be, and that concept isn't new. Uh, George Gershwin stipulated that uh, forever that that uh, Porgy and Bess shall be uh, p- performed, the actors need to be black. That that was a stipulation. And, you know, that's perfectly fine from if you've created the project and that's your vision and you want to stipulate that, then there it is. What's interesting is that aside from him being British, it has never been a question of what he looks like in the actual, you know, literal depictions of him. Now, Hollywood and, and British film and so forth have made their choices historically based on the time period. But there is nothing in conflict uh, on paper anywhere with a black man playing James Bond, as long as he's a British uh, black man. Um, right. He could be a midget. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, I think if you read the books, James Bond is... Yes, there's is, a certain uh, expectation. <laughs> right. Look, I think Idris Elba fits the look perfectly. That's, that's certainly not an issue. As have all the guys who played James Bond, including George Lazenby, who was only there for one movie. Um, I think they all looked the part, and they've done a good job. Um, 
But but I struggle with this idea because does that mean Neil Patrick Harris can only play gay characters? Well, this is exactly my point. It, there, on the arc of this thought think tank, you know, the, the two extremes are kind of clear and obvious. But where is the crossover? And I, like I said, I myself am struggling because some things bother me. If it it bothered me to see a play that took place in a certain time, in a certain setting, in a certain economic reality of the characters, that then when race was ignored, uh, it took from, took it, from for me it was a distraction. Now, and, right. and the problem is that in that time, in that place, in the reality of those characters, in the real world, it, there is no way that would have been, been ignored. And I struggle with seeing that because young people who see, instead of a play, see a television show, Bridgerton, whatnot, that is portraying this kumbaya approach to race relations and reinventing these historical settings, when do we, are we just sort of race washing, to borrow a a term, uh, that we are going to then forget about this reality of history and history forgotten is what history repeated. (laughs) Yep. It's, 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 it's a serious issue. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And by the way, just one last, uh, stab at this idea. Uh, we would never have gotten Tom Hanks's performance in the movie Philadelphia had this been a rule in Hollywood then, which by all accounts, and I've seen the film, is incredibly powerful. Uh, and so... Oh, I, the list I, goes on. I mean, Rain Man, again, Dustin Hoffman, one of oh, the, the most influential wonderful, films wonderful. ever made. But can you only be mentally disabled to play such a role? Is that it? How about physical disabilities? Do I have to be missing a, a leg to play somebody? Well, then we wouldn't have had Gary Sinise's role in... Uh, uh, Forrest Gump, would we? Well, or Forrest <laughs> Gump, for that matter. <laughs> right, Tom right, Hanks again. Right. So, but I believe I have it's, read it's, that Tom Hanks. I don't remember if it was Philadelphia, but one of the roles he has come out as saying that, you know, had he known then what he understands now, he would cho- he would not have chosen to play the part. And this bothers me. <laughs> me too. I don't think he offended people of 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 of. Uh, homosexuality. I think he brought a, a beautiful light to their challenges uh, in that time with AIDS and, and, and social uh, misunderstandings and so forth. I don't think he did a disservice, but here again, I mean, if you want to go to the extremes, not only would the character have had to have been, the actor have had to have been gay, but would he also have had to have been someone with AIDS? That's an extreme absurdity, right? But where does well, today. the line, where's the line drawn? <laughs> today it is. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough, and, and again, it's not that we're insensitive to the issue. It's, it's, there has to be some balance. There just has to be having Jim and Huckleberry Finn portrayed by a white guy. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work because it's not true to the time. It doesn't get the point across. It doesn't let people in the 21st century have a view in 19th century uh, pre what they call it, antebellum pre-civil war america mm-hmm. 
you you completely miss that. And by the way, one thing I didn't mention is every adult white man in that book, save a couple minor characters, is a bad guy. Every single one of them is a bad guy. And, and I think Twain was very, very um, certain of why he did things the way he did. Uh, and, and so again, I, I think there, you're right. It, it's a gray area in the middle and, and there's probably some latitude here and there with it. But do you dismiss uh, things that are important to the story in the time frame? And my answer is a resounding no, no, we can't do that. Well, and, and this is the thing. I mean, if you go through, to go back to where we started this with Roald Dahl, if you, if you go through and do what these publishers, publishers have decided they're going to do, which is to actually change the language are you not diminishing the story? It, it, it would be better to read the original story and have a strong opinion like, dislike, you know, uh, emulate, whatever it is, to the, the, the original words than it is uh, to soften that language and not have the fullest appreciation of the character. If... If the the white characters in Huck Finn did not refer to him by the N-word, would we have thought as poorly of those white characters' behavior? I think it, it was an important part of understanding how he was treated. Of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. You know. It, you know, the man, the man who had all the wisdom, who was courageous, and, and who truly, truly cared about people, was the man that was denigrated by every adult he met. Mm -hmm. and, and in the end, you know, Huck owes his life to, to Jim. Uh, and, and Jim saves lots of people and, and is the true hero of the story. And I, I, I just, it, it stuns me that people want to erase language. Now, do I want the first edition or the second edition of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for my, my child? Well, we're going to read the second edition. Uh, and we're going to read the second edition because, uh, well, first off, that's the version I grew up with. So, <laughs> I, but but I think at his age currently, we don't need to have that conversation now. When he's, I think it, it would be an interesting thing to you know grow up with the children's story and leave it at that. But then maybe to go back as an older, right. you know, a teenager, you know, where we can start understanding some of this, and let's read what was originally written. Um, and, and understand that. But I would argue Huck Finn is not a, s a children's book. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not letting my two-year-old or my 10-year-old. I, I read it when I was uh, in fourth or fifth grade. Okay, um, so around 10, yeah. Yeah, 10. I read it at that age. Um, and I read Tom Sawyer first, and I remember my teacher telling me, fourth and fifth graders always like Tom Sawyer more than they like Huck Finn. Adults always like Huck Finn more than they like Tom Sawyer. Hmm. And I remember I rolled my eyes at her. Sure enough, guess which book I like more now. <laughs> so well, Tom Sawyer's interesting. Huck Finn's a powerful story. It just is. Well, they're and, not the same book. And, and thank goodness, because he wouldn't be much of a writer if he wrote the same book. Um, of course. And it's just like The Hobbit's a prequel to uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Tom Sawyer's a, a, pre, a prequel to Huckleberry Finn mm -hmm. um, and, and serves pretty much the same role, just in introducing you to characters. Um, 
I, I, again, I struggle with some of these issues. I don't know if you know this, but the Hardy Boy books were all rewritten in the 60s and 70s to modernize them, uh, which I always found interesting because one of the Hardy Boy's best friends was Jewish, another one was black when they were originally written. And uh, what they did was went in and they, not only did they censor some of the language and, and change it to more modern terminology, they also reduced the number of words in the book and lowered the reading level required to get through the books. And, and I still wonder why they did that. Um, well, to make it appeal that, to, to a younger and less um, engaged readership. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a book that's been around a lot longer that has had multiple iterations uh, uh, printed of it. Um, you might have heard of it. It's called The Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now part of the iteration process in that one is that we find older, older documents so we can go back and fix it. But the other thing we do is we keep modernizing the language so people can understand it. And, and I'm interested in your thoughts on that particular book. Well, I, I would, I would go with this from a Shakespearean actor's perspective. And on one hand, I think that as a, as a tool of study, there is something to be said for having some form of translative text to compare things to. The problem is, who is to determine the standard of that translation? Because, as with anything, translations are different depending on the translator. And the meaning of words can be, uh, you know, interpreted, reinterpreted, misinterpreted from their original intent. And even in the King James Version, which as far as most English-speaking uh, readers uh, would, that's about as far back as we're going to go, I, I'm quite certain there are shifts in the language of the King James from the original Ara Aramaic and Hebrew and, and so forth. Um, one of the great examples of that is the debate over the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Well, it, many people feel it's the translation properly done is not thou shall not kill, it's thou shall not murder, which is now a question of intent and, 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 and purpose. That's a very different reading of that particular uh, passage. So it's, I think it's important to at least understand that when we're talking about translations. I've, I've read, there's the New International Version, and then they have, and that was back in the 90s or something, and then they have a series of, of newer versions from there. And having compared the text from the original King James through NIV, through a couple of others, completely different meaning. I mean, not even remotely related to, to the substance of the original, um, or the original English translation. So, um, and it, it's also worth saying the King James Version wasn't even the original English translation. There were a number of others out there, but he unified around that No, I, I read the Dewey one. Rames, which predates the King James yeah, yeah. Uh, by about two decades. Yeah. Uh, and, and I read I read a lot of different translations because I am interested to see how things have changed. Uh, the King James, by the way, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, or whatever, it's a beautiful, beautiful translation to read in English. It, it just is. Uh, you know, the language is wonderful. Uh, it's very well done. It, it's not my it's not my Bible of choice, but I do enjoy the language in it, if that makes sense. 
Well, you know, it's it, there is a school of thought out there. I, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to it, but that uh, the King James was Shakespeare. <laughs> that that that, well, that and he was supposedly put his name in it. <laughs> and 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 much of the language is very similar, but it is not the same. Um, now, also, the Bible is not written in poetic verse uh, the way Shakespearean text is. So there are adjustments there, but the period of English, uh, written English at least, is about the same, very close. So there are similarities, um, and that's a different debate for people other than us, I'm sure. But um, it's, I think, for our purposes, the the point is that when you start changing the language, the meaning is inevitably and sometimes irrevocably uh, changed along with it. And that starts to be problematic, especially when we're talking about depictions of history, society, and periods where we need to know. We, I, I think it's important to know the truth of how what we were and where we've been, where we've come, and how we're going to move forward. Because if we only ever show the kumbaya version of history. That's a problem. <laughs> agreed. No, agreed. Agreed. I, I think uh, we need to probably wrap this up on that note because that's probably the most profound point made. So <laughs> any last thoughts though, before we do? No, no, thank you. This was just, uh, I, I appreciate Peter bringing this particular article to my attention. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to read through the whole thing. Um, were, I, I read them both. Yeah, I read them both. There were a couple um, subsequent. And uh, then researches. I went and read about Roald Dahl and, and read about his anti-Semitism, which we didn't even talk about. That's true. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I, I did read it. And then I thought back and uh, thought about some of his stories that I had read. I, I think James and the Giant Peach is a wonderful book, by the way. It is. Uh, it absolutely so, is. And, I, you and know, then, I'm, you know, let I me offend of, some people because this isn't a safe space. I am perfectly fine with Augustus Glute being fat. I am perfectly well, fine looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I'm starting to get fat. I need to do something about it. I, I, and, and if you're offended because I looked at myself and used the word fat, to describe, well, then, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not my problem. Um, and if the world is out there, you know, distressed over somehow fat is one thing, enormous is another. Um, uh, Reacher, Jack Reacher, the, the fictional character, if anyone doesn't know, is enormous. He is absolutely right. not fat. So what we've done is we have changed <laughs> the, the, the substance of Jack, our Jack Reacher character. probably has less body fat than this 173 pound dude on the, on this podcast has. Yeah. And so, but how is he described? He's six foot five or something. Uh, Two hundred and what sixty pounds? Forty pounds of yeah. solid muscle, or two sixty yeah. of solid muscle. A bald head, by the way, bald head. That's true. Uh, yeah. But he is a so, hulking, uh, enormous I'm, man. He is not fat. Those two descriptions no. are different. So, true story. True story. So you know, it, it's it's. I think artists need to be true to their art. I think we as uh, consumers of art need to. Um, look at things through the lens of our time and then look at the, through the lens of the author's time. Uh, Huckleberry Finn would not be appropriate if it were written in 2023. 
because times have changed. But in the time it was written, it was a revolutionary book, and I think we need to be aware. Of now, that. see, okay, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back a little bit on that statement. You're gonna, because you're gonna mess with me? I'm gonna mess with you. I'm gonna mess with you because I would argue that it is perfectly legitimate for a writer in our time to write a book that is set in a Huckleberry oh, Finn time. That's not what I meant. No, no, I meant set in 2023, not set in, in well, 1863. And so. and then I would argue, okay, where is the setting? Who are these people? What are the groups? Because there are plenty of people using that language today. And if that's well, the if story we're telling, about, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're right. You're right. If if I'm writing about uh, if I'm uh, writing about an inner city uh, black man's experience growing up. That word is perfectly appropriate in that context because that word is used in that community a lot, and I get that. Well, in that community, but also in conversations about the people in those communities from other certain communities. So, again, if it's truth, then it is perfectly, in my humble opinion, and of course I'm right, it is perfectly acceptable as long as it's based in researched, thought about, considered truth. In fact, uh, if you are simply, you know, again, trying to denigrate uh, a, a person or a people, and this is the language you choose to, to denigrate them with, well, then that is a problem. But I would not want to go, you know, if uh, 200 years from now, if I were to read a book uh, that was written in and about our time today, and you never saw anything that talked about race or sexism or homosexuality or, I mean, go on and on and on, the various problems that are very much around today, well, then I'm reading a fiction. There's, there's no, and the problem is 200 years from now, it's going to be hard to know the difference. Thank God somebody hopefully is writing real material. But I wonder, as we talk about this, again, uh, social whitewashing and i don't mean that in a, in a only in a uh, you don't have to explain that term this is not a safe space <laughs> but you know this this sort of homogenization of 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 storytelling i think we need to be careful not to do that because if the only musical that's ever been written is hamilton talking about the revolutionary period of our country then anyone in the future who sees that and takes that as some kind of a description of how things went 200 years ago is not going to be seeing a truthful telling of our history. True story. You mean you mean our founding fathers didn't break them into song and dance? Well, especially at the drop any, of a hat. Especially hip hip hop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, listen, this is a great conversation. We do need to wrap it up. So uh we're, we're we I, had our me, longest episode ever last week. No, so. we did. I I'll just simply addendum that to say I'm not saying don't ever write creative storytelling. No. I'm just saying no. be thoughtful in the story you're telling and make sure that it is true to your intent. And if your intent is to actually tell a story of history uh, or, or, or social resonance, you know, be honest because it's important. And everybody needs to read Huckleberry Finn. I'm sorry. 
That's the other point of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it is the great American novel. It truly is. And I, 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 I'm with the, the, a lot of the critics who've said that. And there is no way, no way I would ever discourage a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old from reading that book. There's just no way. No. Uh, now, I'd ask him to come have a conversation with me afterwards. But, but if your child is reading at that level... They need to read that book. They need to understand what it was like in 1850, Missouri. I can't think of any book ever written anywhere. And I'll go all the way out to Mein Kampf. People should read it. Understand where this guy's head was. Understand the truth of of their thinking. You don't have to prescribe it to it. (laughs) And you're talking to a guy who's read both Mein Kampf and the Communist Manifesto because I thought it was important to read both of those. And Das Kapital, by the way. Mm -hmm. I thought it was important for me to know what those those texts said in my thought process. Uh, It's critical to read things that you don't agree with and you know you're not going to agree with. Uh, but, But how do you understand the mindset of the human being who wrote it? Otherwise, and the people who followed it. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All With right. that, Good I think that all. wraps it. By the way, we never really welcomed our listeners. So, on the tail end of things, we thanks got, for being we're, with we're us. We're rude. And, <laughs> yeah, and if you got this far and we haven't completely turned you off, thank you for listening. Thank you for for promoting the show. Please tell a friend. Uh, yes. Please go on to Apple and give us those five star reviews. Hit the hit the like and and smash the rumble, which we're not on either of those, but anyway. Well, not but yet, but we'll get there. Friends. We'll get there. And 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 let us and, know and your thoughts on the, on this topic. Have you seen a show? How can that, they do that? Well, we have this thing called email. It's it's out there. It's ours in particular is civil discourse tnss. That's stands for this is not a safe space at gmail.com. Civil discourse tnss at gmail.com. Write us and tell us about the great American novel you've recently read that uh, maybe didn't uh, resonate true to you or uh, had you in tears with a little too much truth, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but Amen. what what were you allowed to read in school? Did you have books that were banned that uh, you agreed or disagreed with? Um, what What's your perspective on these issues? We want to know. And uh, with that in mind, uh, I want to thank our, uh, our ongoing uh, producers and engineers and editors, uh, Keith Sedroyovi and uh, Parker McNerney, uh, our, our production team there, um, the Lazarus Trio, Carl Groves, and uh, the great Mike Koeniger, uh, who brings our music in and out of every show. And uh, you, our listeners, of course, we would not be here without you. And uh, you, my uh, illustrious co-host, Dr. Mike Koeniger. Well, thank you. And, and once again, I want to thank you. you. You bring a great perspective every week. Uh, or, or, and you, you're really the, the thought behind this, this podcast. I, I, you do the research. You do the heavy lifting. I get to come in and uh, be your foil sometimes and be your supporter in other cases. And I really appreciate all the hard work you do on this podcast. Thank you very, very much. Charles, you're you're a superstar. There's no doubt. Oh, that's kind. That's kind. You'll. Ah, you, uh, uh, no, I just. Yeah, I, I, I must I'm, want I'm, something. Yeah, no. <laughs> when we stop the recording, you can tell me what that was all about. Um, hey, listen. Uh, tune in next week, and uh, in the meantime, be kind to each other, be honest with each other, and uh, and be safe out there. And join us again next time on Civil Discourse. Not a safe space. Mm-hmm.